Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Well, last week we started a new sermon series that we're calling Seven Letters to the Church. And in this series, we're looking at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, where we find seven letters that are written to seven churches. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen, because there's some important background information to these seven letters that are written to these churches, along with a few other helpful things to consider when approaching and reading a book like Revelation. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at the first letter, which was written to the church at Ephesus. Today, we're going to look at the second letter written to the church at Smyrna. And as I mentioned last Sunday, each of these letters that we're looking at is uniquely personal and specific. These seven churches in these seven cities throughout Asia Minor, they each had their own identity. And each one of these churches was was facing a unique set of challenges. And what you find when you read these letters is that Jesus meets each one of these seven churches right where they're at. You find him in these letters honoring their unique kingdom expression, but also addressing their unique struggles and challenges. And, and, and that's important for us to take note of as we read these seven letters because it helps us become more aware of our own local church identity and personality. It helps us recognize that we too have strengths and weaknesses and unique characteristics and problems, right? Things that we need to repent of. But Jesus is with us and he's committed to forming us and committed to shaping us. So we can learn a lot from reading these seven letters to these seven churches. Now, the letter we're going to look at today, written to the church at Smyrna, is probably the hardest of the seven letters for us to relate to because Smyrna was a heavily persecuted church. I, I know there are Christians in America who believe we're being persecuted today for our faith, but <laughs> we simply don't face the kind of persecution that the Christians in Smyrna experienced. We're going to find today as we read this letter, these folks were facing legit persecution, like life and death stuff. But before we get into the letter, before we read it, I want to give you a, a little historical information about Smyrna. Again, as I mentioned last week when we looked at the the church at Ephesus, uh, oftentimes a church reflects a lot of the qualities and characteristics of the city that it's ministering to. And, and, and Smyrna was located about 35 miles north of Ephesus. And much like Ephesus, it was a really wealthy city. There was tons of commerce and trade. It was a newer city. Smyrna had been rebuilt in 290 BC, so it had a, a fresher vibe than other ancient cities nearby. 
you know, if, if you've been to East Coast cities like New York and Boston, and then also to West Coast cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles, you'll know that they have different vibes, a different feel about them. The West Coast cities are newer, so they feel different than the older East Coast cities. And so Smyrna was like a West Coast city. It had been rebuilt. It just had a different vibe than the other ancient cities nearby. It also housed the largest public theater in all of Asia. Smyrna was a center of learning and culture. We know it was the birthplace of the great epic poet, Homer. Smyrna also had a, a, a famous street that ran through it called the Golden Street. And the Golden Street housed all these elaborate, ornate, expensive temples to the gods. And so the god Apollos, the god Aphrodite, the god Zeus, they all had these temples on this street called the Golden Street, very exquisite and, and ornate. And the people of Smyrna boasted that their city was the glory of Asia. In fact, inscribed on their coins was the phrase, first in Asia in beauty and size. And so they were a very proud city. Now, Smyrna was also known for its deep ties to Rome. Even though Smyrna had a, a large Jewish population, they were very loyal to the Roman Empire. In fact, in, in AD 23, Smyrna, the city, won the privilege over 11 other cities to build the first temple to worship the emperor Tiberius Caesar. And so worship of Caesar was prominent in Smyrna. And at the time this letter was written, the Roman emperor Domitian dec decreed that once a year, Roman citizens had to burn a pinch of incense on the altar to Caesar and declare Caesar as Lord. And once they did that, they were given a certificate to, to guarantee, to show proof and evidence that they, as Roman citizens, had performed their religious duty, that they had paid homage to Caesar. Of course, the Christians in Smyrna wouldn't do that. And instead of declaring Caesar as Lord, they declared Jesus as Lord. And as you can imagine, this was quite problematic for them. They went through some intense persecution for that. In fact, we know that it was under the reign of Domitian, the same emperor, that the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was banished to the prison isle of Patmos, where he received this vision from Jesus called Revelation. And so with all that in mind, let's dig into this letter to the church at Smyrna. We're going to start reading in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. Verse 9, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Jesus describes himself here in the open of this letter as the one who was dead, but now alive. And he uses that description of himself for a reason, because he wants to remind the Christians at Smyrna that suffering and death could not hold him. And that suffering and death would not be able to hold them either. 
that those who were being persecuted for proclaiming Jesus as Lord and not Caesar as Lord will be victorious even in death. And in verse 9, he, he says this to them, I know about your suffering and your poverty. See, while, while Smyrna was a prosperous city, why it was an incredibly wealthy city, the Christians there were quite poor. And the reason the Christians were poor was because they were being discriminated against in the labor force. They were losing their jobs for declaring Jesus as Lord. And so there was some real economic persecution going on in Smyrna. And, and that word actually, I see your poverty, the word poverty there, in the Greek it means abject poverty. And so the church at Smyrna, the Christians weren't just poor, they were poor. They were living in abject poverty. And Jesus says in the intro to this letter to them, I know about your suffering and your poverty. And I want to pause there for a moment so we can consider that together. You know, the Bible has over 2,000 verses that address poverty and justice, which means this. God cares a whole lot about the poor. And Jesus starts this letter off to this church, this impoverished church, by saying, I know about your poverty. I see it. And I care. Friends, I'm convinced if we as the church don't see and care for the poor, we're doing it wrong. Because Jesus does. He does see it. He does care. You know, according to a recent UVM survey, food insecurity in Vermont has increased by a third during this pandemic. It increased from 18% to 24%, which means that almost one out of four Vermonters have experienced food insecurity this year. Folks, we as a church, we need to see that. We need to respond to that. You know, if, if you've ever gone through a season before where you've had to put groceries on your credit card because you didn't have any money to pay for them, or, or you had to go to a food shelf for assistance, or, or you got stressed out about which bills to pay because you couldn't pay them all, and you had to pick which ones you were going to pay, or, or maybe you had to apologize to your spouse for fighting about finances because there's just so much anxiety about lacking, then you know, if you've had to do any of those things, you know how much pressure and stress and anxiety comes with not having enough. And Jesus sees that. He sees that. And, and the church needs to see that too. You know, last year, Church at the Well gave $7,029 to help different individuals who are in need over the course of the year. And, that, and that's wonderful. But I believe we can do more. And, and we need you to help us with that. So let me get up on my soapbox for just a minute here. Bear with me. On our website, we have a form called a Benevolence Request Form. Because years ago, we started a Benevolence Fund, which was just a fund of, of money that we put aside every month to help people out who, who are just in need of some financial assistance. And, and there's a form on our website. And if you are ever in financial hardship, I want to implore you, ask you, go and fill that form out for yourself. If you know someone 
who is struggling financially and just needs a little bit of help, you can even fill that out on behalf of them. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a friend, somebody who you know is just going through some financial hardship. Go fill that out for him. You don't even have to fill out all the information. Just, just fill in what you know, what you can. Because we wanna, we wanna do what Jesus did. We wanna be able to see the poor and care for the poor. Okay, off my soapbox, back to the text. In verse 9, Jesus says to them, I know about your suffering and poverty, but you are rich. See, here's the thing. The Christians at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna, was poor. But Jesus saw them for what they really were, spiritually rich. See, to him, their identity wasn't in their material possessions or lack thereof. Jesus said, that's not what I see when I look at you. When I look at you, I see you for who you really are. You are rich. See, God's economy isn't like the economy of the world. In God's kingdom economy, worth and value aren't weighed and measured by our economic position or status. See, the Smyrna, the church at Smyrna, was the poorest of the seven churches, but they were the purest. They were the richest. And it's so interesting to me that of all these seven churches, Smyrna was the only church out of the seven that Jesus didn't rebuke or correct. Think about that. See, I'm convinced that you and I, we need to start seeing the poor the way Jesus sees the poor. Amen? All right, let's, let's, let's keep reading. Let's read, let's read verse 9 and 10 in its entirety. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. See, because Smyrna was incredibly loyal to Rome, there were some Jewish members of the community that fiercely opposed the church. And they made slanderous accusations against the church at Smyrna. And Jesus tells them in this letter, you're going to suffer at their hand. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And he tells them some of you are even going to be imprisoned for 10 days. Now, there's speculation over what he meant by 10 days. Remember last week when we talked about uh, the book of Revelation being apocalyptic literature. It's the style of writing that uses figurative language. There's numerology. There's word pictures. And so some scholars suggest it was a literal 10-day period of heavy persecution. Other scholars suggest it's a symbolic number. It could mean 10 years or perhaps even the reign of 10 Roman emperors. And the reason 
some scholars believe that is we know, for instance, that the early church suffered intense persecution by Rome for three centuries, 300 years, which lines up pretty perfectly with the timeline of 10 consecutive Roman emperors starting all the way back in AD 64. Uh, when the intense persecution toward Christians started. Uh, and it, that happened because of what was known as the, the Great Fire of Rome. In AD 64, there was a fire, a massive fire, that destroyed 10 of the 14 city wards in Rome. And the emperor at the time, Nero, blamed it on the Christians, which started three centuries of intense persecution and martyrdom. In fact, one of the Apostle John's disciples, remember the Apostle John was the one who wrote the book of Revelation, one of his disciples named Polycarp was called the 12th martyr of Smyrna. And the person who recorded his martyrdom said that Polycarp was marched into a Roman amphitheater and asked to denounce Christ and proclaim Caesar as Lord. To which Polycarp replied, 86 years I have been his servant. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Wow. The, the person who recorded his execution also said as the soldiers were about to nail Polycarp's hands to the stake where he was about to be burned alive, Polycarp told them, he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me to remain on the stake without the nails. And so they didn't nail him to the stake. He, he willingly just stood there as they lit him on fire. And the chronicler had this to say about his execution. It was not as burning flesh, but as bread baking, or as gold and silver refined in a furnace. He went on to, to say, Polycarp was remembered by everyone and spoken of even by the heathen in every place. You know, that level of persecution <laughs> that I just explained to you and told you the story about Polycarp, that level of persecution that the Christians at Smyrna were facing, it's, it's difficult for us to even comprehend, right? I mean, you and I, we probably won't have to die a martyr's death. But it's worth asking ourselves if we're willing to live a martyr's life. In other words, do we know deep down in our bones that no matter what comes our way, we can trust God to be with us? We can trust God to provide us with his strength when we need it. See, sometimes I think we can read stories like this, like Polycarp and the other martyrs who, who died for their, their faith in Jesus, and think that these Christians were superhuman. And we can fail to appreciate the, the depths of fear and doubt that they might have struggled with, that they were human, just like us. When, when I was in college, I got my hands on a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and, and it had quite an impact on me. It was stories like Polycarp and others, historical accounts of people who were martyred for their faith in Jesus. And I remember thinking at the time I was reading that book, 
if I were in this position, if I were in their shoes, I don't know if I'd be able to trust God like that. But I want to. There's something inspiring about that kind of trust, that kind of faith in God. To, to be able, even though they're, they're fear and doubt and they were in that position, to be able to, to, to put that confidence in God. So inspiring. Well, let, let's keep reading. There's, there's one verse left. And let's go back and read verse 10 with it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Jesus tells the Christians at Smyrna, don't be afraid. And then he makes them this powerful promise. He says to them, if you remain faithful, I'll give you a crown. I'll give you a crown of life. Now, in that culture, crowns were, were given as awards. They were like trophies or medals. Uh, you could get one for being a good citizen. And so if you were an exceptional citizen, uh, you were given a crown and you could wear that around as evidence of your, your good citizenship. Smyrna was also famous for its games. And so winning athletes were given crowns to, to parade around in and it was a sign of accomplishment. If you were a devout worshiper of one of the pagan gods, you were sometimes given a crown to, to demonstrate your devoutedness. And so Jesus here tells the persecuted Christians at Smyrna, you're my champions. You deserve a crown. And since I see all of your faithful suffering, your faithful endurance through hardship and persecution and poverty, I'm going to give you one. And even if they take your life, you'll be victorious. You won't be harmed by the second death. Wow. You know, I mentioned earlier that, that this is a, a, a difficult letter for us to relate to. But I think there are two advantages for us today in reading it. One, it helps us examine our own level of commitment to Jesus and his church. You know, you can't help but, but read the story of Polycarp and, and read this letter that is sent to the church at Smyrna and not examine your own level of commitment to Jesus and his church. Another advantage that it, it, it gives us is, is it provides us with empathy for the persecuted church because there is a real persecuted church today and it, it encourages us to pray for them. You know, according to a November 2020, Christianity Today article in Pew Research, every day in the world, eight Christians are martyred because of their faith in Jesus. In every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned for just believing in Jesus. 260 million Christians in 53 countries suffer high to severe levels of religious persecution around the globe. 
And so what I thought we could do this morning to close our time together and to close out this book, uh, this letter to Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, I thought we could say a prayer together for the persecuted church. And so we're going to put these words up on the screen, and I want to lead us in this prayer. And I want to ask you just to even pray it out loud in your living room as you're watching. Let's, let's pray for our brothers and sisters, uh, the persecuted church. Let, let, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lift up every man, woman, boy, and girl that is going through some form of persecution today for your namesake. May you guard, guide, and strengthen each one of them. May your Holy Spirit permeate their being with your peace that surpasses all understanding. And may your sustaining hope warm their aching hearts, knowing that they can draw near to you and that you are with them in the terrible ordeal that they're going through. Infuse them with a sense of your closeness in presence. Lord, we realize that the doubts and fears that flood their minds must be far beyond what we who have never had to taste such atrocities can imagine. So pour out your strength and support them with your loving kindness and tender mercies, Lord. May each one find you in the depth of stamina and strength that their soul needs. Father, they are your children and our brothers and sisters in Christ. So hold them closely in the palm of your hands. Amen. Amen. listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.